We are in 1 Peter again, 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, verses 13 to 16 today. We've been uh, plodding along down through these uh, chapters, and, uh, or this chapter, not chapters yet, but uh, we've been looking at this, and we've been looking at the, um, I always try to introduce the book again for those of us that are just joining us with the study. Um, Peter writes this epistle to the scattered believers throughout Mostly Asia Minor is what you see, but also scattered believers even to this day, right? Those that are all over the world. And it's a general epistle. Uh, as he writes, he, uh, he is looking again at the, begins with the, the reality of the backdrop of the persecution that was going on. And you remember, or probably you weren't there, but we remember in talking about it anyways, we remember that uh, there was great persecution under people like Emperor Nero and other uh, emperors that came out of the Roman uh, Empire, and also uh, just the fact that Christians, they really had lost a lot to follow Christ. They, many of them had been uprooted, had to change locations. Uh, some had lost their lives. Certainly others had lost uh, possessions, and all this being stripped away, but yet they had a joy about them, a joy that is seated in the Lord Jesus Christ and the knowledge of him and the salvation that he offers. And we've talked a lot about that, the hope of the resurrection. And a couple weeks ago on Easter, we talked about the unseen Christ, and Peter refers to that, that he is, uh, we love him whom we have not seen yet. And when you think of that, that generation of Christians that he was writing to, they were, they were a little bit closer to the time of Christ, but they were a generation away. And they, by faith, were, were accepting those things historically, but also uh, those things the apostles had taught them and others. And they were looking forward to that day when they would see their Savior face to face. Really, we're not that far removed either from those very things. And I trust that this morning you have a hope of the return of Christ, the hope of seeing Christ and maybe even soon for some of us. Well, we're looking at this, and I've titled this, Get, it, Get Ready, Set, and Grow. And we're going to kind of look at this text on those uh, in that um, outline that's there. Beginning in verse 13, 1 Peter chapter 1, says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as he who is called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Lord, we again open up your word this morning before us. We thank you so much that we have the Bible, that Lord, you've instructed it to us and given it to us. And over these many years now, right here in the St. John Valley, we've had the Bible freely declared. We don't uh, take that lightly, and we know, Lord, we have a great responsibility with it. I pray, Lord, even this morning, you would work your work as only you can do. You've promised that the Word of God is given, that it, we might be thoroughly furnished. We know that it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, all those things, Lord, that you've given us. And, Lord, not only in this life, but for the life to follow in your very presence. And we look forward to that, but Lord, we ask now you'd open your word to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This uh, message, I mean, it's, it's what we would call in the practical sense of how your beliefs should play out. 
And remember, we've kind of built that foundation over the last few weeks as we've looked at the hope that's found in the resurrected Christ. And, and because of that, this is how you ought to live. And I've said this before, but it, it stuck with me years ago when a, a, one of my missions teachers at college, uh, he, said, he said this, he said, what you really, 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 really believe you will do. And he emphasized that several times during a semester when I was in his class. And I, I don't remember a whole lot of that class except for that. And it's because, you know, it stood out to me in such a way because what you really, really, really believe you will act on, you will do. If you really believe that Christ is coming again, I mean, that's part of the core doctrines of the Christian faith, that the return of Jesus Christ. And I believe that uh, imminently He could return for His church. And someday He's coming again in what we call the second coming. And that's yet a future event. And, and I believe I take that from the Scriptures and I take a literal approach to that. And that's what we believe here as well. And if we really believe that, we'll act on that. It'll, it'll change the way we live today. It'll change the way, if, by the way, if you don't know Christ, if, if you understand that doctrine or begin to understand those principles, I'll tell you, that will also drive you to Him. Because you realize, you know, if He's coming again, I need to be ready. And, and someday I, I'm going to meet Him, alright? Or we'll stand before Him one way or the other, either as one of His own, where He welcomes us into His presence, or one that He never knew, and He casts us forth, in the Bible says, into a place that's called a lake of fire awful thing and I'll, I'll, I'll lay that to you you know just today to think about as we look at this but we live in an age where it's uh, it's really you know a, a paradox of times as someone put it and I have a little poem later on I'll read but I have another poem that um, appeared in a magazine not long ago um, but it says this this is the age of the half red page and the quick bash and the mad dash the bright night and the nerves tight the plane hop and a brief stop, the lamp tan in a short span, the big shot in a good spot, and the brain strain and the heart pain, and the cat naps till the spring snaps and the fun's done. And I think that boy speaks a lot of our times right now here in the 21st century. It was actually written way back in the 1949, that little poem, boy, it's fairly relevant today, isn't it? We live in a world filled with all kinds of uh, concerns and anxieties and worries. And if you just turn on the news any given day, and, and I, don't, I don't condone burying your head in the sand by any means, but, but don't just be stuck in the news cycle all the time. I can get there very easily. And we look at all the things happening in our world, and, and the reality is our, our eyes should be fixed upon Christ, first and foremost. First and foremost. Other things are important. But he is the most important. I mentioned the little poem called The Paradox of Our Time. And this was written, it's sort of a poem, it's a free verse, but it's Dr. Bob, Bob Moorhead, who is a former pastor of Seattle's uh, Overlake Christian Church. He retired in 1998 after about 30 years of ministry. And uh, this poem is attributed to him, but it often appears as an anonymous source. I've even seen it attributed to George Carlin, which I was surprised when I read that, because I said I don't think he would write something so... Uh, elegant or whatever and he didn't write it but it was used I guess uh, in maybe after his death or something like that but this originally came from a pastor and he writes this the paradox of our time in history is that we have taller buildings but shorter tempers wider freeways but narrower narrower viewpoints we spend more but have less we buy more but enjoy it less 
We have bigger houses and smaller families, more conveniences but less time. We have more degrees but less sense, more knowledge but less judgment, more experts but more problems, more medicine but less wellness. We drink too much, smoke too much, spend too recklessly, laugh too little, drive too fast, get angry too quickly, stay up too late, get too tired, read too little of God's Word, watch TV too much, fast too rarely, give too little, pay too seldom. We have multiplied our possessions but reduced our values. We talk too much, love too seldom, hate too often. We've learned how to make a living but not a life. We've added years to life but not life to years. We've been all the way to the moon and back, but we have trouble crossing the street to meet the new neighbor. We've conquered outer space, but not inner space. We've done larger things, but not better things. We've cleaned up the air, but polluted the soul. We've split the atom, but not our prejudice. We write more, but learn less. We plan more, but accomplish less. We've learned to rush, but not wait. We have higher incomes, but lower morals. We have more food but less appeasement. We build more computers to hold more information to produce more copies than ever but have less communication. We've become long on quantity but short on quality. These are times of fast foods and slow digestion, tall men and short character, steep profits and shallow relationships. These are the times of world peace but domestic warfare, more leisure but less fun, more kinds of food but less nutrition. These are days of two incomes but more divorce, of fancier houses but broken homes. These are days of quick trips, disposable diapers, throwaway morality, one-night stands, overweight bodies, and pills that do everything from cheer to quiet to kill. It is time when there is much in the show window and nothing in the stockroom. Well, I can't put it any better of the, the, the times in which we live today in my world. And some of those things hit real close to home. I don't know about you, but they do because it seems we are in this world that's of ever-expanding busyness. And yet Christ calls us back to himself and to refocus our energies and to look at those things. And he really calls us to a, the, the simplicity of what verse Uh, 16 says here in our text it says because it is written be holy for i am holy by the way that's not a real popular verse to preach on uh it's it's not a popular verse for pastors to preach on you know because i read that verse and it convicts me every time and it stands out to me saying this that i ought to be more like him that's really what that verse is telling us we ought to be like him That means we ought to be like Him whether we're in church or we're outside of church or we're in our home or outside of our home. We're in our business or we're in the market buying something or we're on vacation or we're on the internet or we're watching television. Whatever it is, we ought to be more like Him. Very simple. And yet, very hard sometimes because it calls us to reevaluate our life and to look at it a little differently. Sometimes when you say we're going to talk about holiness, matter of fact, if I, if I had published this in the bulletin and said, oh, by the way, we're going to have a series on holiness, and, and you know, I, I, okay, I'm glad there's a lot of people here today, but I can tell you what, that is not usually something that draws people to, to come and want to study. You know, you, you say, I want to talk about the return of Christ and the end times, and we would pack out a church. 
But if you said, I want to talk about holiness and Christian living, ooh, I don't know, I might stay home today on that one. I, I don't know, and I'm, I'm not, you're all here, thank you for coming, you know, and I don't want to send you away today beforehand or whatever. You are going away eventually, okay, so don't worry about that. But there needs to be an understanding that to be like God, to be like Christ, and the holiness that is required in that produces an inner joy, an inner beauty, actually, that comes out, and it's a very attractive thing, not a, not a thing that we should worry about or say, oh, that's kind of boring. And it isn't boring at all. David, in his psalm that's recorded in 1 Chronicles 16, 29, I love this verse, he says, Give to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and, and come before Him. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Oh, you could just park right there and think about that verse, you know. There is something immensely attractive in a, in a believer's life when they're right with God. And because they're right with God, often they're just right. And everywhere they go, there's a radiance of beauty among them and about them. I often think of that because, you know, we sometimes attribute beauty and glory to the strangest things. Huh? And, and I say that because if you ever watched, you know, some celebrity special when they roll out the red carpet and people walk down the red carpet and you go, well, that's just weird, you know. But we call that beauty or something so easily. And that isn't beauty that makes someone beautiful. I'll tell you, it comes from holiness. And, and there's, there's a lot we could say there, but we often do that. Or we, we give glory to things and man sometimes in places where he doesn't do the glory. Only God's do the glory. And there's something wonderfully attractive about someone who can tribute glory to someone greater than themselves. We in our society have it mixed up so often. And I'm going to talk about what I have done and what I can do and how big I am and how much I have. And, and that's, that's not for the Christian, by the way. We don't get caught up in that. We do that, but don't, but don't get caught up in that. Repent from that. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He talked about a holy joy. I like that, holy joy. And he said this. He says, how little people know who think that holiness is dull. When one meets the real thing, it is irresistible. If even 10% of the world's population had it, would not the whole world be converted and happy before year's end? Hmm. Boy, that's true. Let's go back to our text because I want to look to this this morning and just a few thoughts from here. But the first one is this. It's found in the first part of this verse 13. It says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Gird up the loins of your mind. That's a, a readiness word, by the way. The, to gird up, it pictures the idea of a soldier or someone who's getting ready to go to battle to be uh, making sure that everything's brought together and the armor's tight and you're prepared for battle. The ESV puts it this way, therefore, preparing your minds for action. And I, I like that, the way you think about that. And that's the first point here I have, that we need to pre prepare our minds for action. And you say, well, how do I do that? Well, as a, as a Christian, we ought to be preparing for the things that we will face today and the things that we could have today. Did, did you prepare before you came to church this morning? Have a little bit of time, maybe? Some of you said, man, if you would have seen my house this morning, man, we didn't have anything, but I just, I'm lucky to have clothes on, you know, that kind of thing. But, you know, sometimes we need to stop and just prepare ourselves and say, Lord, what would you have for me today? I can, I can provide you a list already of about four things today that have happened to me that I have taken note of and I've said, Lord, you've answered the prayer that I had today. 
Thank you, Lord, for that. And, you know, I, I'll share, with that, share that with you privately if you're interested. But, but I can say that, and I'm not always like that. I, I'm being honest with you. Sometimes we hit the floor running and we don't take time to prepare our minds and to say, Lord, what do you have me to do today? And Lord, maybe today the enemy is going to come and he's going to go after me in this angle. And how am I going to respond? What am I going to do? Gird up the loins of your mind, the Bible says, and to prepare. I think of that when I was in the military and it was a big part of my life when I was young. And, and I remember, you know, we, we spent the majority of our time preparing for something we hoped we never had to do. And, and when I was in the cavalry and, and I served as a gunner on a, a Bradley vehicle, uh, I remember, you know, we would spend uh, weeks on end preparing to go out and, and shoot the enemy in hopes we'd never have to shoot the enemy, you know. And every Monday I would go to a, a simulator where we would end up in this computer simulation. It was, it was really amazing, but it was a replication of the turret, basically, that we were you know, in when we were operating in the field. And everything was there. And you look through the scope and you look downrange. And I was in Germany and we had Germany in front of us, basically. You know? And we got to identify little Soviet tanks and Soviet uh, personnel carriers and helicopters and all that stuff coming through. And I had to know exactly what it was I'm looking at, even if I only see a part of the gun that might be sticking out over the horizon. Or that rotor blades that are coming in over the tr uh, just under the trees, you know, and you could see the, the rotor blades. And I had to say, oh, that's a U.S. or a NATO helicopter or that's a, a Russian. And I had to identify that because in the thick of battle, sometimes you just make a decision and you shoot yourself or shoot someone very close to you, you know, friendly fire they call that. They always made sure that the scouts knew what they saw, you know, because we're the ones calling artillery and things like that. And, and it was a lot of preparation. And, and we would do it when we were back home, you know, and back home in the barracks or whatever. We, they handed out playing cards, okay? And on the back side of the playing cards were different threat vehicles and NATO vehicles and aircraft and all those kind of stuff. And it got you familiar with... Uh, the different things. And so there were games you could play and other things like that. And you would be familiar with those things, seeing them. And, and you would drill over and over again. And I remember sitting in that turret and hearing my commander, you know, and he would have to call the target and you were the guy that would have to squeeze the trigger. And there was a procedure and you always kept to it all the time. Absolutely. You had to have two eyes on things all the time. And he might make a command and he would say, gunner, PC, you know, Gunner Sabo PC. He would tell me what ammo and what exactly we're looking at. And I had to identify it. As soon as I identified it, he said fire, and I'd say on the way. And they did that whether you were in the field, whether you were in the simulator, whether you were in combat. You always did that. And you were prepared so that when the real thing was presented to you, you were ready for it. Now, if we were willing to do that for, you know, military engagements, which I think, you know, are important, we have defense and all that, but I can tell you we ought to be even more so important when it comes to the things of the Spirit of God and the Bible, and we ought to be preparing our minds. We ought to be saying, how am I going to act in this situation when temptation arises in this particular area of my life? Or how am I going to treat this brother in Christ who comes to me and wants to cut me right down? Or how am I going to deal with my neighbor who's just doing that annoying thing all the time? And, you know, it's easier to go off and just spout off at somebody who doesn't even know the Lord and lose your testimony and wreck everything in a moment, just like that. How should we live? And some of that requires the idea of knowing where we're going. Because this world is not my home, it's not your home. And if we always kept that in mind and we thought of that, the, the destination 
guess what? We wouldn't uh, be so concerned about the problems here. And there's a lot of problems here. We need minds that are prepared for action. And we need a clear focus. That's the next part. And that's part of this. It says minds uh, for action, but being sober-minded. Back up there in uh, King James where it says, Therefore gird up your, the loins of your mind, be sober. Be sober. The word for sober there, it literally in the Greek, it means wineless. In, in the um, Latin, it's, uh, I wrote it down here. Uh, it's interesting because it's abstentious is what it is, or abstemonious, I guess. And it means that's where we get our word abstinence. And it, it, often we associate it with alcohol or something like that. But really what he's saying here is the mind is, is it's about, you know, be ready-minded. Be alert. As you stay alert, you stay alive, right? And you're effective, all of those things. Too often, we try to dull our senses with whatever it is, not just intoxicants. We, we try to dull our minds with entertainment and with you know, things that necessarily aren't even really bad things, but they're just not of important value, and we miss the big picture. I think of that. I, I have been blessed over the years to have gone and, and sat under the ministries of people that I remember sitting in a little prayer meeting in uh, Enfield, Maine, a few years ago, about probably almost 20 years ago now. And there was a man from the Philippines, a missionary, who, had, uh, who was there that night. And he, I'll tell you, he was dry. And when you listen to him, you think, oh, man, is this guy ever going to get done? You know, when, about the first five minutes, it was kind of like that. But I, I forced myself to listen to what he had to say. And I just all of a sudden found myself enthralled in what was going on in the ministry of the Philippines in a uh, remote island uh, that was in a very you know, remote section. There was no matter of fact, he and his wife were living in a, a group, people group of about 150,000 of them uh, that were there. And the Philippines is you know, all kinds of different people groups there and languages spoken. And they were the only missionaries you know, working in that group of people. And they were diligently translating the Bible, which now has been translated in that language. And they, they were just a couple for that. Left Bible school, and uh, as I think they were near 40 years old when they went to the mission field, and they just have thrown their life into, into the ministry there. And I was listening to them. And you know, afterwards, I, I stopped, and he was talking about discipleship and church planting and the whole process that goes on. And it appeared in his talking that that had gone on several times in their ministry that they had seen churches planted from the discipling of believers and establishing leadership and all that and i was kind of interested in that and i i said how many churches have you seen planted there and he said well he says we we lost track after a hundred and i thought he was kidding and he wasn't he said they they are serious about it they they take what we've taught them and give them and they take the word of god and they just go and do it and they replicate that and because they they are passionate the believers that are there and god's doing amazing things and yet they were operating out of a little hut literally it was up on stilts on top of a mountain sort of uh you couldn't get to it by vehicle they had to they did have an air uh, landing strip that they had you know basically cut out of the the mountain there and they'd land a little plane there occasionally, bring in supplies. They had a solar panel on the roof, enough to charge the battery of the computer so they could keep the translation work going. Would you be willing to live like that? I don't know. I, I, I'm saying that to Jack Karen. 
But if you believe that Jesus is returning and that people need to know about him and that he offers a salvation from our sins. See, everybody has a sin problem. You can live in Maine or California or in the Philippines or anywhere you want. We all have a sin problem, don't we? And God's answer to our sin problem is that he sent his only begotten son to die for us at the cross. That's why men like Peter would go and write a letter to the scattered believers reminding them of that great salvation that they have, they have received and the hope that it brings and the direction of our life and all the things that go with it, the big picture. We need to take a look at that sometimes. But we need to have clear focus. Clear focus. Don't dull your senses that way spiritually. We also need a new goal. A new goal. Um, when I was in high school, I, I ran track. Now, you guys are like, yeah, right, you know. But I did. I, I did. I ran track. And I can remember that. Now, I didn't say I was good at it, but I ran, okay? Uh, there were some cute girls in the track. Where, you know, I ran, no, no, but, you know, we were, yeah, but we, I, I ran track, and I remember uh, doing the 100-yard dash and the 200-yard dash, and uh, I thought any further than that, if they've caught me already, there's no hope. So, you know, I just, that was it. But, you know, it was, those were easy races to me because um, I had strong legs. I could run fast. And it, I, only, I could see the goal. It was right there, 100 yards away. That's not far. And you could take a big, deep breath and run and make it there. But it was a little harder when you ran, like, cross country or something. Or how about the Boston Marathon? Didn't run that, by the way. I'm just saying about the Boston Marathon. But running a marathon, you don't see the goal, right? It's... 26.2 miles away all right you you have to go and run and you know hopefully not lose your way that, all that kind of stuff and it was exciting that uh, last week in the boston marathon tracy garrett from saint agat right uh, a valley native she came in 25th in the boston marathon among the 13,000 some odd uh, female runners uh, that's great i mean that's a great but you know I was doing a little reading in the article that was on her and others and stuff. And, and like all people that run marathons, they have to know how to pace themselves. But more than that, you have to press yourself to get beyond the hills and the times where you want to pull out of the race and all that and see the goal, even though the goal isn't visible. It's invisible, right? Well, it sounds like the Christian race. Because see, we don't really see the goal. That by faith, you know, we see it. And later in the book of Hebrews, it talks about that, the great cloud of witnesses, you know, all of that. But, but let us lay aside every weight of sin and, and run the race, right? Looking onto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. The only problem is that I don't see Jesus, not, not directly. I see his word. I see what he has done in the lives of people around me. I hear him in the messages that I listen to or those things. I pray with him and all that. I certainly know he's there, but I do not see him. Now, that's what Peter says earlier in our text, doesn't he? Him whom you've not seen, you love. But he's my goal. And I need a vision change sometimes. I need to get my vision back on the goal. And that way you can run a marathon. And sometimes the Christian life is like a marathon, isn't it? It's just... It's just hard. <laughs> it's just toil sometimes. And you say, is it really worth trying to live holy in a, 
in a world that is so unholy. It really is. And I'm not one to go and just look for sin under every bush and all that stuff. That's not what I'm looking for. But I just, it's, it's there. We live in a world that is so messed up. When people come to you sometimes and they say, uh, yeah, I want to I tell you a problem I've had in my you know, marriage or in this aspect of my life or whatever. And they start unloading and, and you just go, wow, I never realized it could be this bad. And the amazing thing is they've gotten to that point and not even realize that it's abnormal. I say abnormal, it's not really, it is normal for our society, but it's not, it's not what God intended. It's not the way we should be living. But our, our sin drives us to that. And in our sinful condition, that's what we'll do. Because as a sinner, you know, you exactly, as Christ talked about it, remember the Pharisee, he said, like your father, the devil, he used that phrase, you know. They were acting like the devil because that's who their true father was. Well, you know what? If you're a Christian, you should be Christ-like ones and you should be like your heavenly father and he's holy. And we should look like, you know, resemble the family, so to speak. That's how Christians ought to live and behave. He says, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance. And really, that fourth point is we need a new lifestyle. We do. We need to be obedient. Not disobedient, but obedient. And conforming yourselves. That carries the idea that we need to... It's work. I would like someone else to come conform me. You know, back to the military. You know, it was great when I arrived at basic training and I had like five or six drill sergeants around me yelling at me everything how long i could take a shower how long i could sleep you know when i needed to get up and i mean when the uh you know one thing i learned real quick was that now means now you know and and all those things and you you learn obedience when someone's yelling at you or forcing you and doing that but a little harder when it's you hmm i mean i gotta go to bed all right i guess i gotta get up i might have to go see somebody today I might have to go preach today. Oh boy. You know, there, it's a little harder. But that's what we're to do. We're to conform ourselves. And it's in the idea of holiness. That means, I've got to say, look, that's garbage. And it's going to conform me more like the world. Let me get rid of that. Or that, if I go and see that or do that or visit that or whatever else, you know what? It's going to make me more like the world and lusts and everything else that go with it. And I want to be more like God. I want to be more like Him. Because there's lasting joy in that. There really is. There's lasting beauty in that. Honestly, we are, and someone put it this way, we're, we're, we're bent on climbing that ladder of success, you know. We reach the top only to figure out it was leaning against the wrong wall. <laughs> if you're going to, you know, climb the ladder of success, then you better know where it, it ends up. And that ladder of success for the Christian is that it has to be, you know, heaven. That, that's our, our end game here. You know what I mean? This is our, how we're getting out of here. We're going to be in His presence. We're going to see Him face to face. And, and that's the, the revelation of Christ. And Peter talks about that. And, and that's really uh, the idea of the standard of conduct, you know. He says, conforming yourselves to the, uh, to the former lusts as in your ignorance. But then he goes on to say this. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. The, the idea of and 
the opening verses there talk about the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now that is a term often associated directly with the, the second coming of Christ, where he will be revealed to the earth, all right, and to his, his people. But it also is even more immediate for the believer if, for instance, death takes us, okay, and, and we were to die, and we, you know, if you're a believer in Christ, you're going to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's what the Bible says. How are you preparing for that today? Have you ever asked yourself that? I don't know if I want to think about that. Well, I've had some thought about that in recent days. I had my good friend Calvin Hood die this past week, and age uh, 58. And, and I thought about that. I thought, hmm, he's too young to die. But you know, he's been spending most of his adult life preparing people to die, preparing people to meet Christ. And now it's his turn. Someday it's going to be my turn barring rapture or whatever but you know it's going to be our turn how are you preparing tonight we have a man that'll be with us mike sonia and some of you have sat well, he was here about a year ago and actually he wasn't sure if he'd be here a year later he's facing terminal cancer and and he's come to speak with us tonight and it was kind of last minute to set it up but you know what uh, if you can be here tonight come because i'll tell you why watching somebody go through what he's going through with hope and the grace that God has given him, it will spur you on and encourage you so that when you face that someday, I don't care if you face it decades from now, but when you face it, you can look back and say, I've seen someone go through that. And you know what? It's worth it. And I'm going to get there someday. And it'll be all the aches and pains and all the problems of this life are gone. And instead, we'll be like him fully in practice then, being holy because he's holy. Every area of our life. But you say, and I, I think of this old hymn, you know, take time to be holy. Remember? We sang that. Take time to be holy. But you say, I don't have any time. You know what my world's like? And, and I thought of this this weekend because it convicted me. Uh, it was a very busy weekend for me and a uh, busy week. And I, I feel busy sometimes. And I say, I use that excuse like, it's just too busy. I don't really need to put the time into that part of my devotion. Yeah, but you got to take it. And you know what? Uh, I came across this illustration. I, I love uh, the life of George Mueller, you know, the man who is so closely associated with, often with prayer. Because uh, in managing uh, many different orphanages and hundreds and hundreds of kids that came through those orphanages, they basically saw their needs met in Bristol, England and thereabouts here in, in England in the 1800s into the 1900s uh, by prayer. God answering prayer after prayer. Sometimes having children sit down at a table and, and praying for the food that God was going to provide because the food wasn't on the table. And as they finish in prayer, there's a knock at the door and someone's there with fresh bread from a bakery cart that's broken down. And they need to unload the bread because it's not going to make it to market. And as they're taking the bread and putting it on the table, a man stops and he says, I've got fresh milk. And that milk is uh, uh, it's going to go to waste because I can't get to the market today because I have a problem with our wagon. And can you take some milk in the orphanage? Well, great. Bread and milk for our orphans, you know. And he saw that time and time again and, and honestly it was much more than bread and milk he saw all kinds of neat things and he he really loved the the children for sure but it was interesting george Mueller, after he finished the uh, reading the bible for the hundredth time 
read the Bible a hundred times. He said this, uh, I look upon it as a lost day when I have not had a good time over the Word of God. Friends often say, I have so much to do, so many people to see, I cannot find time for Scripture study. Perhaps there are not many who have more to do than I. And he was writing this in a, in a letter. He says, For more than half a century I have never known one day when I had not more business than I could get through. For four years I have had annually about 30,000 letters. Every year, 30,000 letters. And most of these have passed through my own hands. Then, as a pastor of a church of 1,200 believers, great has been the care thereof. Besides, I have charge of five immense orphanages. Also at my publishing depot, the printing and circulation of millions of tracts, books, and Bibles. But I have always had it a rule never to begin work until I have had a good season with God and His Word. The blessing I have received has been wonderful. We need a few more people like George Mueller who are just going to say, you know what, I'm not even going to start the day. I'm not even going to face the day. Or if you're on the night shift, face the night (laughs) without a little time with God and take time to be holy. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful for your word. And Lord, we're reminded today again just of the importance it is of, of really doing what we believe. I pray again if there's anybody here, Lord, that's a stranger to you, that, that doesn't know Christ as their personal Savior, that even before they leave this building today, they, they would place their faith, their hope in you, turning from sin and just receiving Christ. Lord, I pray to that end. And Lord, we thank you for those that are here and that know the Lord. And I, I pray, oh God, you would help us to be holy. And not in a dull sense, Lord, but in a joyous sense, and just radiating the love of Christ. We thank you for that, and we pray to that end this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.